Now, some of you guys may not have your Bible, probably the majority of you. So you can do is so you can take out your iPhone, your iPad, or whatever kind of instrument that you have. We're going to be doing something very interesting. We're going to be taking a good look at the book of Genesis. The book of what? Genesis. And during the noon meetings, we're going to make it very interactive. So I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions, okay? And I want to get your feedback. As I said before, we're going to be covering 10 love stories in the Bible, starting with Adam and Eve and ending with Jesus and the church. I'm also going to be sharing my background as an Indian. I come from a very traditional Indian background where arranged marriages take place. So I'm going to share some of the adventures as my mom has attempted me, or has attempted to get me arranged. I'll be also sharing my experience where I was actually involved in an arranged marriage for somebody else. You don't want to miss that. So if you got friends, I'm sure you do, please bring them out during these noon meetings, all right? As I said before, we're going to be covering the book of Genesis. Now, what I really like about the book of Genesis, it's a book about origins, origins about life, origins about creation, origins about how this planet came to be in the condition that it now is, origins about love, origins about marriage. And when you look at the book of Genesis, you're really blown away by all the wonderful things that you learn. In fact, when Jesus was oftentimes teaching, he would always refer to in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning. He'd always go back to that, uh, you can say that primary part of scripture, the very first part of scripture, which is creationism. And there we see God's perfect plan. And so when we're looking for a standard of righteousness or we are looking for the way that God wants us to do things, we need to go back to the book of Genesis and there we will see what our God's original plan was for humanity. All right. Take a good look at this. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Now I want you to pay attention to this. This is very unique. You may have a King James Bible, a New King James Bible, or some other version, and you will see a unique literary structure that takes place in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, somebody tell me really quickly by the raising of your hand, what is Genesis chapter 1 all about? Okay, raise your hand if you know that. Okay, really quickly, why don't you tell me what Genesis chapter 1 is? And by the way, if you give the wrong answer, I'm going to make you feel very embarrassed. Go ahead. Very good. Very, very good. Very good. He nailed it right on the head. So think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Look, take a good look at this. What Genesis chapter 1 is, it's about creation. The Bible says this over and over again. God created this. God said this. God said this. God said this. And you see an ordinary narrative that takes place in Genesis chapter 1, but something is going to startle you in Genesis chapter 1, something that most people overlook. When you're going through sort of that repetitious narrative in Genesis chapter 1, it said, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be land, and there was land. God said, let there be animals, and there was animals. And over and over again, you see this repetitious phrase that appears over and over again. However, when it comes to the creation of mankind, that's you and me, all of a sudden, the Bible does this really strange literary maneuver. Take a good look at Genesis chapter 1, starting with verse 26, okay? It talks about how God created the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now watch this next phrase. So God created man in his own what? Image. In the image of who? God, he created him. Male and female, he what? Created them. Now look what else it says. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and what? Fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the what? Now go back to verse 27. I want you to pay attention to this. Do not miss this point. This is very powerful. So God created man in his own what? Image. 
in the image. In the image of God, he created what? Him. Male and female, he created them. Do normal people talk like that, yes or no? Are you sure? Of course not. Most people are not redundant in that sense. When you're reading Genesis chapter 1, it seems to be this very ordinary narrative until it gets to verse 27, and then it becomes very repetitious and very redundant. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he what? In three different ways, it states the exact same thing. It's very unusual. In fact, when you take a good look at the margins of Scripture, all of a sudden, this verse actually becomes indented. Now, there's something that Moses knew, that Hebrew translators knew, that English translators probably had somewhat of an idea, but most people, when they're reading the Bible, do not get. And that is this. Verse 27, when it deals with the creation of everything, then it gets to the creation of man, was written in a very literary structure, interesting literary structure that's known as paradigmatic parallelism. Say that three times fast. Nice try. Okay. What that is, get this, is Hebrew poetry. It's Hebrew poetry. Now I'm going to ask a question to all the studs here. What is the purpose of writing poetry to somebody? Raise your hand if you think you know the answer. Impress ladies. Huh? Impress ladies. You want to impress the ladies. Okay. How about you in the back over there? What's the purpose of giving poetry? Have you ever given poetry to somebody? Okay. What was the purpose of that? <laughs> this is Loma Linda. I don't know where you think you are, mister. You are absolutely right, my friend. When you think of what poetry is, ladies and gentlemen, poetry is the language of love. In other words, it's where you want to communicate a special kind of what? Emotion. Take a good look at Genesis chapter 1. When God was creating everything else, it was fine. But when God came to the creation of man, it became an emotional experience. In other words, it got to the place where God told Moses, hey, I don't want you to write the creation of man in just ordinary narrative language. I want you to write it in the language of love. Mankind was created in the language of emotion. You know, I had a good friend who actually decided to go to a guitar shop in Arroyo Grande. That's where I used to be a youth pastor. And he's just, he loves, you know, playing the guitar. He walks into this guitar shop. And he's at this guitar shop, and he's looking around at all these guitars, these really expensive guitars, these Taylors, these Martins, and all of a sudden he sees this one guitar, it's a beautiful guitar, the most beautiful guitar, and it's on the wall. And he's looking at that guitar, and he's just like, I wonder how much that guitar costs. So he calls the owner, and he says to him, he says, by the way, how much does that guitar cost? The owner says to him, oh, this guitar, it's not for sale. And he's like, well, why don't you tell me how much it costs? Why don't you just give me some kind of a price? His, his response was, it's not for sale. And my friend, he's just a little bit nagging. He pushes him. He says, okay, please tell me again, just something. Give me an estimate of how much that guitar is worth. The owner then says to him, you don't understand. This guitar is so special, you cannot put a price on it. And my friend says, why is that? And he says, I grew up with a special kind of tree in my backyard. 
and there was a swing on this tree. Prior to that, my dad grew up in that same backyard with that exact same tree, and he swung on that same swing. And prior to that, my grandpa was the one who actually put that swing there, and as a little boy, he himself was on that swing. And during my life, all of a sudden, that tree got struck with lightning. And he says, I didn't want that memory to go to waste, so what I did is I took that, that wood, and I began to fashion this guitar. And he says, as I was fashioning this guitar, all of a sudden, these tears begin to come out of my eyes as I recalled the memories there. You see, when God was creating mankind, it was just no ordinary language. It was emotional, deep experience for God. You want to know why? Because he knew what the cost would be. You were created in the language of love. Now, what is also so interesting about Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, by the way, the name of this sermon is called, or sermonette, is called Adam's Love Life. Adam's love life. When you go to Genesis chapter 1, what is so interesting, what is the title given for the creator? It's not a hard one? Okay, raise your hand if you think you know it. God, that's the answer right there. <laughs> Woo! That was a tough one, wasn't it, right? It says God created this, God created this, God said this, God said this, God said this. Genesis chapter 1 is about an abridged version of how God creates the world. Genesis chapter 2 is God's favorite part of creation, and that is what? Mankind. So what you find in Genesis chapter 2 is basically God honing in on his favorite part of creation, and that is you. But what it, what's very interesting is that the title actually begins to change. God is no longer just God. When you read the title for the creator in chapter 2, when he's having this special kind of relationship with mankind, it is actually Lord God now. So everything God does in chapter 2 is the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, Lord God, indicating that when God stepped down on earth and he created mankind, it was no more that he was just this God who would create things and step off into the distance. He was a very covenant a relational God who got down on his hands, got down on his knees, and began to form Adam with his own hand. And when Adam opened his eyes, he recognized who this was. This was not just God. This was Lord God. Let me ask you a question, a very simple question. Who could give you more in a relationship, a scorpion or a bunny? Come on, you guys, raise your hand. This one's not a tough one right here. This, one's, this one may be challenging, but it's not really, really that tough, okay? Who could give you more in a relationship, a bunny or a scorpion? Okay, yeah, I hope so, right? Okay, who can give you more in a relationship, a bunny or a dog? A dog, right? Why is that? You don't know why a dog could give you more in a relationship than a bunny could? What can a dog do that a bunny doesn't do, generally? Obey. Obey. What else? Play. In other words, there's some kind of reciprocation of love, right? 
You see the dog, right? You throw the ball, he goes running back, comes and brings you back the, the ball, or it does something for you, right? There's some kind of greater reciprocation, understanding, appreciation of emotion. A dog knows when you're angry, right? Bunnies, they're always just freaked out all the time, and they're just timid, right? Okay, let me ask you another question. Who can give you more in a relationship, a dog or a human being? Someone said dog over here. I said this during Army Bible Camp. The people who say dog are the people who dress them up during Christmas time, right? So here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Don't miss this point. It's very, very powerful, right? Based upon one's moral intelligence determines the ability or capacity to reciprocate love. And so when God was creating mankind, he was no longer just God, he was Lord God. Because Adam could understand more than the rest of the animal kingdom who God definitely was. And could reciprocate many of those emotions. But what is so interesting, the Lord God begins to give to Adam several things. Okay? Number one, he gives him his home. Number two, he gives him his ministry. And number three, he gives him who? His family. He gives him Eve. A question I want to ask you very intelligent, smart college students is this. Why did God choose to give Adam's home and ministry before the creation of Eve? Who wants to take a shot? Yes. So he could what? Okay. Very good. Anybody else? Yes, read. He might realize his need. He might realize his need. What else? Why did God give to Adam his ministry before he gave him his wife? Yes. Because, not that it's more important, but that's something he had to establish before. What was he establishing to Adam? His order? What do you mean order? Who said that? Okay. Who said that? Love. Yes. Okay, the question is, so why did he give Adam his home, his ministry, before the creation of Eve? Yes, over there. Say, <laughs> yeah, that's a good one right there. I can't refute that right there. Anybody else? Come on, you never have thought this out. You never wondered to yourself, wait a minute, why did God lead Adam through a series of events prior to the creation of Eve? There's something there. Yes, over there. What are you studying, by the way? <laughs> yes, how about you over there? Okay. I believe that the Lord had an orderly thing in mind. Okay. He made creation for a reason. First, he needed a place to live, air to breathe. And he just put it in order where he lived, what he did, and then he could have the love to focus on his relationship with his wife. Okay. Anybody else? Over there, last one. What's the example? So that, let's say, now that I'm looking for a wife, you probably put a wife in the type of home, a job, like my ministry intact, and then my family. Give an example. Okay, I'm going to let you go. That was very good, by the way. So then he could realize he couldn't do it completely, and he would feel that missingness. Like he finally had it, that he could really do the first Okay, you're saying that God created a need for him? Okay, very good. Put it this way, though. This is something very important. God was teaching in order of priorities to Adam, and that is this, that he first needed to be responsible and accountable to God before a person. 
He was teaching him, hey, this is responsibilities you have. Here is your ministry. You need to make sure this has first priority to me before you have a kind of priority to somebody else. You know, our first priority is to God before anybody else. Can you say amen to that? In fact, what is so interesting, when you take a good look at what God told, did for Adam prior to the creation of Eden, in other words, Adam's short bachelorhood, this is what it was. Genesis 2, verse 14. Then the Lord God took man and put him in the what? Garden of Eden to tend it and to what? Keep it. Keep it. You know what keep means in Hebrew? It means to guard. God told Adam, I want you to guard this garden. There was no freaky looking dinosaurs at that time, right? I mean, this is what was taking place. Don't miss this point. God actually told Adam, he said, Adam, I'm giving you this garden, this place of communion, and I want you to guard it, to keep it. The problem is, or the, the question is, why did he tell Adam to guard this garden? What did the garden represent above all things? It represented his place of communion with God. Ladies and gentlemen, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, whether you're scarred, there's one priority you need to recognize, and that is this. God wants you to guard jealously your time with him. And no person, no circumstance, no situation should ever begin to invade that special holy time. Oftentimes in life, I'm like, I'm a pastor and I'm very busy. I have a, a you know, on Sabbath, we have about four, three to 400 people who go to church. We're starting a church plant. We're doing evangelistic series nonstop. I get invited to speak at different places. We have this going on, this going on to the place where now I don't like to have my phone number in the bulletin because I'm getting calls in the middle of the night. Wake up in the morning, you know, the first thing I do, I'm like, okay, I better check Facebook to make sure nobody Facebooked me. Check my email to make sure no one emailed me. And it's gotten to the place where everything else in the world has begun to invade my own Garden of Eden with God. God wants us to realize that that Garden of Eden that each one of us possesses, that place of communion is so holy and nothing should begin to intrude or invade that time. This is a primary importance that God wants to teach each and every one of us, and that is this, our time with God is the most valuable, get this, and the most effective and efficient hour of the entire day. Amen. You'll be able to actually do much more with that hour that you give to God than you would have if you didn't do that. God wants us to guard jealously that time. All right, so here's Adam. He's enjoying naming all the animals. There's Mr. Zebra, Mrs. Zebra, Mr. Camel, Mrs. Camel, Mr. Giraffe, Mrs. Giraffe. And all of a sudden, he's looking to himself, and he's like, okay, where's Mrs. Eve or Mrs. Adam? He's looking around, and God tells Adam something very interesting. This is what he says to him. Genesis 2, verse 18, and the Lord God said to him, it is what? The Lord God said, it is not good that what? Now, most bachelors and single people have memorized this verse, right? Lord, it's not good for man or woman to be alone, right? Now watch what it says next. This is very interesting. I will make a what? Helper what? Comparable to him. Who put this desire in mankind's heart, ladies and gentlemen? God, right? God made mankind a very social being, a very kind of communal being. He was to be part of a community, a kind of group that would be known as a family, a very organic model. 
He was kind of like part of this, this uh, introduction to what was missing in Adam's heart. In fact, right after God says this, God doesn't necessarily provide right away. He then begins to lead Adam in a time of work. And as Adam is working, doing his thing, the desire is growing stronger and stronger, and he's just working his way, and he's like, all right, seems like I need help. He's working, he's working, and then he remembers, wait a minute, God told me that he was going to make somebody for me, and he still doesn't have anybody there. In fact, it says, and there was not found a helper comparable to him, which implies Adam was probably looking around. He's like, well, where's Mrs. Adam? (laughs) Wasn't seeing that. And then all of a sudden, he falls asleep, wakes up, And there she is, Mrs. Garden of Eden, right there, coming in, right? But what is so interesting, take a good look at that phrase right there. I will make a what? Helper comparable to him. Now, when I first read this verse, I used to think to myself, God's going to make Adam a butler. He's going to make Adam somebody who can wash the dishes and vacuum the floor. He's going to make somebody who can do all the cooking for him. What is so interesting, when you take a look at the word helper, it appears 19 other times in Scripture, and the other times that it appears, the majority of the 19 times, get this, it appears as God's powerful rescuing help. The other time it refers to military aid. When God told Adam, I'm going to make a helper to him, you know, there was probably all these thoughts that came to Adam's mind. As we're reading it in the English language, we have sort of a superficial understanding. We're thinking to himself, well, he was probably just looking for somebody so that uh, he can be by, right, be, be by Adam's side to help, like, you know, pick up or take care of the animals. No, what God was making for Adam was something so unique. This was to be a symbol of a powerful rescuing help. Amen. I come from a country that diminishes the role of women. Treats them as second-class citizens. And you hear all sorts of things that take place in India, the way that women are treated. But when you take a good look at the Bible, the Bible actually elevates the value of women. We sometimes think, oh yeah, it just completely, uh, it brings them down or subjects them even further. But when you're taking a look at the origins of how God created things, he was elevating the role and value and significance of the female race. Can you say amen to that? All the women are like, I'm going to start reading Genesis more, right? <laughs> this is very important. Because this would then be help Adam understand some very important things that, wait a minute, he wasn't just looking for somebody who was going to be at his equal level or somebody who was a little less than him. It was implying that this was to be somebody who was going to challenge Adam and take him up a step further than where he was before. And this should be sort of our criteria in this, you know, journey to look for somebody else, a, a counterpart. Somebody who's going to challenge us, not somebody who encourages us to stay exactly the same way that we are. Can you say amen to that? And this should be a very important criteria. But there's something else that takes place in Adam's life. I think this is very important, sort of this time of Adam's life. Adam then falls asleep right after God says that. God knocks him out, and Adam is snoring away. And as Adam is snoring away, God then pulls out a rib, He has no idea what's going on. God then makes this rib, and he makes it into who? Eve. The first thing Eve sees is what? God. Right? She's spending some time with God. God then brings her to who? 
Adam, and he's like, there she is, Mrs. Garden of Eden. She comes together, right? And Adam's just like, I, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. But something that is very unique is this. God was actually teaching Adam a very important principle of love even before the fall of mankind, and that is this. Where there is love, there is sacrifice. Where there is love, there is sacrifice. And this was in a pre-fall world. God was teaching Adam this kind of principle. You know, when you take a good look at that word rib, it appears in some other places. Another place it appears, as well as the word that has to do with sleep, it appears when Jacob is wrestling with that angel and he gets touched on the side and he halted on one side. The word is rib. It's the same word. In fact, when you go to the, when you go to the New Testament and you find out about Jesus, and there he is, right? And Jesus is there, and he gets hit on the side. Look in the Greek, it says rib. All this sort of pattern that begins to develop with this side, this side, this side, and this sacrifice, this sacrifice, this sacrifice. And a pattern begins to emerge in this idea, and there's more that begin to emerge, this very interesting thought, and that is this. Very powerful. That when Adam fell asleep, and God pulled out that rib, it led to a union with Eve. When God touched the side of Jacob, it led to a reunion with Jacob. And when Jesus was touched on the side and blood and water began to pour out, it led to a reconciliation with all of mankind. Where there is love, ladies and gentlemen, there's sacrifice. There is sacrifice. God wants us to understand something in these few minutes, and that is this. He wants to give to each one of us something that is missing from our lives in this busy, hectic world. Something even Adam needed to understand in a pre-fallen world, and that was this. He needed to come a while and rest with God. And when he would have that, he would be even more empowered and more efficient and more effective to do the daily necessities that were required of him. You know, I read this very interesting story. Some of you guys heard, of it, heard about it. It's making the, the front pages. It's about this lady by the name of Kelsey Yeoman. Have you guys heard of this story? And Larry Ragsdale? High school sweethearts. They fell in love when they were in high school. Perfect love story, and uh, they went to prom together. He was like the track star and the football star, and she just was always his biggest fan, planning to get married. And one day he was like, I'm going to propose to her. Got even the ring. He was driving, gets in a terrible car accident, goes into a coma for four months. His body is mangled, paralyzed. And during that time, she never leaves his side. She actually ends up getting a job at the physical therapy place, and she's trying to, she's always being by his side every day of when he was in that coma, and when he awoke and was paralyzed and still getting treatment, she was by his side always. She never left his side. They just recently made a decision to be married. And what is the most unusual thing about this is 
he will never be the same again. But that love that she had looked past those faults to who he was. And God, he sees who we are and we're not what we once were in Genesis. He sees what sin has done to each and every one of us, the scars that we all carry, the griefs that we have deep in our heart, nobody else knows about. Yet, in spite of who we are, He still chooses to lavish His love upon each one of us. And He offers to us something so special, and that is heaven's peace. I end with this. It is peace you need. Heaven's forgiveness and peace and love in the soul. Money cannot buy it. Intellect cannot procure it. Wisdom cannot attain to it. You can never hope by your own efforts to secure it. But God offers it to you as a gift without money or price. It is yours if you will but reach out your hand and grasp it. God today is offering to you heaven's peace. That special rest if you will take it. How many people will say, Lord, I want to reach out my hand by faith and grab that peace that you have for me. Is that your desire? Raise your hand if that's your desire. God is offering to you today, even today. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, learning some more about love stories in the Bible, and tomorrow we're going to talk about Isaac and Rebecca. But God, help us just to linger with that thought that you love us in spite of who we are. Thank you, God, that even if we have ignored you or been in some kind of spiritual coma, God, you're right by our side. May every person leave with heaven's peace. May we come back tonight also at Campus Hill and hear the message that you have for us because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you tonight. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.